remain on your feet and I want you to uh, just kind of give a big clap in a moment to our guest speaker today, who's my beautiful wife, who's a great teacher of the Word of God, who goes with me all over the world and sits under my ministry and always takes notes and always encourages me. And she's every day I find her there and uh, she's up early in the morning reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, uh, not for the sake of standing in front of people, because of a love and a hunger for God and His Word. So I want you to give a great clap and make joy. Very welcome as she comes up here today. Thank you, Bay City. Truly, you are the wind behind my sails. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. The love of my life for 53 years. Wow. And what a ride it's been. <laughs> I met him when I was 17, and we were both tied up in religious bondage. But look what God has done. And what an honor to travel all around the world as he literally brings thousands and thousands of thousands into kingdom revelation, deliverance, healing, and just amazing impartation of the things of God. God has just been so good to us. In fact, I think the Lord's endorsing my message today. I want to do kingdom family culture part two. And, uh, and I think there's signs and miracles here today. One is, Mike is just a miracle, really. I mean, just amazing what God has done through our lives. And we're just in the one, most wonderful season, experiencing the, the glory of a 40-year journey, really. 40 years ago, I think, we made the decision, seek first the kingdom. And everything else has been added, and it's still being added. This is the most wonderful, wonderful journey. And also, it's a privilege today to have Steve and Joe with us. Wow. The most darkest, terrible years of our life when we were in secret sin and we cried out to God. And now has a couple here, passionate followers of Jesus, just by the grace of God. And David and Georgia sitting there in the front of that conference and Georgia being singled out and having her legacy declared. Isn't that just the endorsement of God? And I want to talk about um, family legacy and uh, how to create a culture. I feel a bit like Paul writing to the Corinthians. I have a godly jealousy over you that our homes and our families here are, are, are godly families. In fact, my opening verse in Exodus 10, it says in, um, in, in verse 23, Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness over all the land of Egypt. The whole land of Egypt was in total darkness, but there was light in the houses of the children of Israel and their dwellings. And I believe this is like the time we're in now. There's actually darkness, incredible darkness over our society. It's come in from what David was really sharing about last week. The kings meet. Daniel stood out as a man in his uh, Babylonian culture. He was a young Christian man. He was put in a totally heathen culture. But he stood out and was favored and raised up by God. Because they refuse the king's meat, which as David says, the teaching and the doctrine that's unleashed upon the society today, which is demonic. It's darkness. Darkness behind the doctrines that most of our people are exposed to. And, uh, and yet and they refuse also the king's wine, which he said speaks of the spirit behind this teaching. There's a spirit behind the teaching and the doctrine that's all over our society and coming into the schools and everywhere. And it was going to be light in the houses of our people. 
because our people are going to be kingdom-minded. We've got to know what it looks like and how to operate in it. And we're going to stand out. And they're going to be totally different. And we're going to be not intimidated by the culture that we're exposed to. We don't have to be intimidated by it because the demonic nature of it will try to make you intimidated and make you feel like you're judgmental and shouldn't think like you think. But that's not right. We've got to be unashamed by the culture which God wants us to build in our homes and so that we can raise up the godly seed that God is looking for. He's looking for, it says in Malachi, he's looking for godly seed. And we have a responsibility, I believe, as a church family. And I'm speaking as a mother in the church. That's why I'm speaking it straight and strong. In fact, I'm a grandmother. I've got 24 grandchildren. I should call myself a grandmother. And I believe that I still feel so, like I'm so jealous over the people here that we build families that are radically different from the families around so that we can raise up godly seed. Amen and amen. So... Um, I believe we've got Daniels in our midst that are going to come forth and stand out. And I want to just uh, review briefly a few things I talked about last time. If we just put up Genesis 1, 26 to 28, I went back to God's original mandate for mankind. God's original mandate is still the same. And, um, and this is what it is. In, in Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us. You know, there's a council in heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost have a council in heaven and make decisions. And they made a decision that they're going to make man in God's image. What a thing to, to decide to do, to make us in a God kind of image and nature. Give us the God characteristics so we can be like God, have the characteristics, the spirit nature of God. That was what God decided to do, to make man in, in the image of God. And he created mankind in the image of God, male and female. And he blessed them. And he said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and expand my kingdom. God's always been enlarging the kingdom. He's never expected it to stay in our own little uh, church even, even our own little home. It's not all about us having a nice, happy life. It's about us fulfilling the mandate of God to expand the kingdom. And that's the mandate and the purpose that God created man for, that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. We haven't got there yet, have we? But this is the purpose and the destiny and the, and the mandate that uh, is behind the creation of man. And uh, he said he wants you to replenish it, cultivate it, protect it. Whatever you've been entrusted with is yours to cultivate, to protect, to care for, and also to um, subdue and have dominion and conquest. We are created for conquest. What does that look like? I mean, the grand sounding words. What does it look like to conquest? I remember Pastor Mike when he was a teacher in a school, going into the classroom, taking authority over all the spirits that would stop kids learning, all the restlessness, taking authority over it, binding it, releasing the presence and love of God into the classroom. And even relief teachers said, what's different about your room, sir? Kids learn here. I get even the relief teachers got work done because the presence of the classroom is filled with God. Whatever you're entrusted with is yours to take and subdue and have dominion over your home. It's your mandate. It's your entrustment to create and release in that place the presence and power and presence of God and to subdue and take authority of any contrary things that would dare to come into that place. It's all about Brighton and over his orchard, 
praying and decreeing over the trees and getting the most productive orchard in the whole region. I love it. It's about Richard stopping the fires, coming and consuming his nursery when the whole hill was on fire and he stood up as a man of God and subdued and took dominion. This is what it looks like. Going into your office room. If you're, if you're an accountant or an office or a dentist, you go into your room and you create an atmosphere there. Subdue. If you're connected with God, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you've taken back what Adam lost. He lost that ability when he fell in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus paid a price and he's given it back to us. And now we are back to do this original mandate. Subdue and extend the kingdom. We've got to get this thinking. It's not even just a pastoral church we're part of. We're an apostolic church that's going to infiltrate this region. We've got to think differently. We've got to think differently. So man lost the glory, but it's been uh, God paid the price for it, and we've got to possess it. We have to do things to possess it, and we can do things to possess it. So um, I'm passionate about this because I believe our Bay City homes are going to have light, are going to be so radically different from those around us. And, and we've learned this, you know, it goes from glory to glory to glory. But you've got to be movement. I mean, we didn't start off having the atmosphere and the things we have now. But bit by bit, the Lord shows you things that you can do and changes you can make and attitudes you can shift and reforms and transforms your heart attitudes because he's got another agenda for us is to make us more and more like him. And we're actually not there yet. That's a lifetime project. He just gives us lots of opportunities to change and grow, doesn't he? So he's constantly changing us. So we become to reflect more and more of his nature. And, um, and I believe also he wants us to understand the characteristics of a kingdom home, a, a, a family home that's got kingdom values in it. It's really all about values. And um, so last time I preached, I just touched on the values behind a few things, which I won't repeat. One is the value behind the covenant of marriage. We need to be unashamed of the covenant of marriage. And, uh, and of course, it's eroded seriously in our culture, but it's wonderful like we had the wedding of Sunny and Araha where they just came and made a covenant before God. The blessing of God comes upon that. Some people have to get their lives back into godly order. But God endorses that. It's the most wonderful thing. Also, our old attitude to men and women. God created man, he created woman, totally unique, totally different, and, and, and yet the world tries to distort it. It's, been, it's a demonic distortion that makes it look like domination, and women have been abused and dominated. That's demonic. That's not God. God told men to lay down their lives for their wives. That's a totally different picture, isn't it? And it's not, we're both the same. Feminism comes to try and make us look like the same. We're not the same. We both reflect part of God's nature. Marriage is like the Trinity. You've got the father and male and female all flowing together, all in a godly order, all reflecting part of God's nature. Totally unique, totally different. And it's okay to be like that. We've got to celebrate it. And another thing is um, children. Children in a godly home are precious. They're an entrustment. They're the heritage of the Lord. They're given to us to treasure and as an entrustment to, to raise up for his, his glory. The ways of God need to be taught in our homes. You know, God is 
commissioned us, and I talked about the scriptures last time, where we should diligently teach our children the ways of God. There's many ways you can do this. I think you've got young children, Bible stories, just let them have Bible stories. Have a time every day where you share the Bible with them and lay hands and pray for them. Pray for them, call them forth. If you're an adult, I really encourage that book. Maybe you could just put the name of it up. Maranado has written a great book that Mike and I start off the day with. It's called Daily Encounters with God, a Supernatural Devotion. Daily Encounters with God, a Supernatural Devotion. If you've got a Kindle, just download it as a Kindle book. And every day, if you start the day with one of these supernatural encounters, you'll think, wow, God, you did that to that couple? They came in so broken. So much worse than I could ever think life could be. And you've raised them up. You've made them a kingdom people. You've delivered them. You've transformed them. You can do it again. And every day you get a a sense of how big God is and how much he can transform lives and make a difference. Just start your day maybe reading something like that. And it will just launch your day feeling that you can go out and see what God will do through you that day. And the other thing I brought out last time was the whole thing of generational blessing. You know, the enemy has come in and taken the same lines that God set in place for generational blessing. As I've talked about, my grandmother, who was a, went to Smith Rigglesworth meetings and raised up my mother, and then I'm me, and now we've got David, and now we've got Georgia. And God's purpose is that this blessing increases from generation to generation. Our kids start off on our shoulders, and they, it intensifies. It goes deeper and more with every generation. So our children should be younger coming into encounters with God and going further than we've ever gone, because this is God's purpose. The government is from generation to generation. That's his purpose. And I believe the children that are coming up in this church, whose grandparents and parents have been faithful, they're going to go far further than any of us. Because it's increasing on their generation. And also, I believe in the last 20 years, people are sick of just church being church. We don't want just converts. We want radical followers of Jesus that are going to extend the kingdom. That's what we're after. And that's what I believe God is after right now too. So um, this is what I shared last time. So I want to go on this time. And I just want to first of all talk about a few practical things. Because I think it's, if it's practical, you can, you can do it. <laughs> and I was thinking, first of all, what does a kingdom culture look like, even coming up to Christmas? There's a lot of pressure in the world. And, and if a lot of the Christmas, a lot of the homes in our society, Christmas is a time of opening all the bottles, getting sloshed. Sometimes the men will just hang around a run room and talk, and the women are left with all the kids, and... And they all get broke because they've maxed out their credit cards. And that's what it's like in the society. That's the darkness that's over society. Stop and take a stop take. What should it look like for us? What should it look like? One is, for us, it's all about relationship, Jesus, and extending the kingdom. So one thing we should think about when it comes up to Christmas, there'll be a great production. Four times a year, we have great creative events. And this is a great time to bring your unsafe friends. And Mike and I go to uh, Taiwan every year. And in one week in a church, we get about 1,000 people saved. And I say, how many, how come so many getting saved? For six weeks, the church has anticipated this event. 
They've targeted friends. They've prayed. They've believed for their friends to come and get saved. So maybe it's nine weeks to our big Christmas production. Start thinking who you can invite and believe this Christmas somebody you can bring along give their heart to Jesus. We have Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, and Christmas as a special event, plus, of course, all the she events. But apart from that, what sort of culture are you going to have in your, hand, in your home over Christmas? One is you need to think about this materialism. We don't want to be caught up in materialism or debt or overspending. You don't need to. You don't need to. You need to keep it simple. Focus on what's really important. And I've, I've seen lots of families that come up with great ideas. Some of them say, okay, we'll keep everything under $5. Or everything's got to be a handmade gift. Or buy something from the secondhand shop for this Christmas. Or in our case, we take the names out of a hat and you buy for one member of the family only. And they'll tell you what you want them to buy because they want to get what they want. But don't overspend beyond what you need. Keep it simple and think ahead and plan ahead. How can we have a great day without going overboard with all the commercialism and excessive spending? Think of, think of a way and plan it ahead of time. Um, benevolent. God's nature is that we'd be benevolent and always reach out for those around us who need help and support. So I think it's great when families will get together and make gifts and maybe take it to the Christmas tree at Kmart or here we've had opportunity to give into homes in our family that are struggling at the moment. So always think, how can we be a blessing? Because we are best blessed to be a blessing. That's what God says, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. See who you can be a blessing for at Christmas time. And all of God's events, like even the service today, how many people? Would it be 100 people today, Kate, to make this service happen? Probably something like that, if you count all the children's church workers, the security, the people outside. Any event that we do takes everybody contributing. Why not with Christmas? Everybody should contribute for a start. Everybody should bring food. Don't burden one person. And I think what works well with our family now, we make everybody come with a game or an activity or an item. And most of the evening is just fun and times together. We've had magic shows. We had Joe and Steve showing us their dance steps one year. We had Michelle modeling a baby class for toddlers. We've had Peter make us run all over the showgrounds. Everybody reflects themselves, but have most of the evening fun. And everybody comes with something to bring and maybe a quiz for the kids, see if they know the Bible story and give them rewards. But plan it so it's interactive. Everybody contributes. God also says he places solitary in families. Look around the church and there's people here who homes are not in New Zealand or their young adults are living away from home. Gather them up, gather them up. Usually there's several events, maybe Christmas Eve, Christmas lunch, Christmas tea, at least one of them. Gather in people that are, needing gathering in that are solitary because God says I put them in families <laughs> it's funny with this though. sometimes I find what stops it sometimes it's stopped because of jealous wives they don't like to share their husbands he might start flirting with that other woman or something like that I don't know that's pathetic that's not a kingdom marriage <laughs> and then you get singles who come along this is my big moment if they come to our place to get personal counseling from Mike and dominate his ear all night that's not all. If you're a single coming into a family, connect with the kids, bring some food, be a good auntie. You know, you've got to change and be 
be real. <laughs> so, um, and if you have a home, you can host. If you've got a home, you tell people what to bring and you gather people up. Don't sit around moping that nobody's asked you. You can take the initiative. You can invite. You can go to the highways and the byways and find people and ask them to bring something. And you can make Christmas quite a different event that maybe you've ever experienced. Okay, that's a few ideas about Christmas. What about honour? Mike talked about giving being honour. Honour is a kingdom value. We should, as um, Christian homes, take every opportunity to, to honour and teach honour. Teach honour your parents. Teach honour your elderly. Teach honour authorities. Teach honour church leaders. It should be modelled and taught. So we raise up a generation that understand honour and respect authority. But another opportunity, which we take every year, is when someone has a birthday, speak words of honour. Go around the table and let everybody say something they appreciate about that person. You know, we had the most amazing event on our last trip to Taiwan. We went to the home of one of the wealthiest men in Taiwan. He invited us to his home for dinner. And the Taiwanese are not good at speaking their heart. But we discovered it was this guy's birthday the next day. So Mike said, well, in our family, we have a tradition. What we do is we go around the table and we use this opportunity to honour people when it's their birthday. So let's, I'll lead the way. And he led the way and I followed. Went right around the table. Now this man sobbed. He said, I, I never had my, gave a, had a chance to my father. I loved him. And he wept. And the presence of God came in. And the whole atmosphere changed. People started sharing their hearts. You know, use opportunities. I've been amazed too. I remember one of our friends in this church went to his, his friend's 50th birthday, and he did that. He just said, oh, let's take a chance to honor my friend. It's his birthday today. Everybody else was drinking and joking, but he took the chance to honor his friend and speak words of value over him. And everybody started calling him Padre. <laughs> it's a godly thing to do, and they suddenly thought he was like a, like a chaplain. <laughs> but, you know, because we're doing godly things, and it, it changes the atmosphere when you start to speak words of honour. So create opportunities in your home when you can speak words of honour. Goodness, the time's gone. I've hardly started. <laughs> um, and the atmosphere of your home. Your atmosphere of your home is something you can cultivate. The music. Play worship music. Um, speak and decree the presence of God. Watch what comes into the place. Okay. Um, and it's our job to help our young generation discover what is their unique wiring? I'd just like to give four verses, even though I haven't got time to elaborate. Jot the five, five verses, jot them down. It says, train a child in the way that he's bent. And as he gets older, he'll, he'll go that way. Now, each of you have got a, a bent, a, a, a wiring, a gifting inside you. And, um, and, and as a church family, we want to help you discover that. We want to cultivate that. We want to help you find out what it is you're bent to do. Not everybody's bent to work in the church. Some of you are going to go into business. Some of you might go into the entertainment industry. Some of you might serve in the hospitality industry. Wherever God places you, I believe we should get to the habit of laying hands on you when you're ready and sending you into that place as a kingdom man to change the atmosphere in that place and to stand out like a Daniel. I believe, you know, is a, is a bend within you. There's another, another great verse that says, Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes, God's eyes, saw your substance when you weren't even formed, when you're still imperfect. And 
is a book in heaven where everything about your life is written. And even before you were started, I love this translation. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born, and you scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. You know, God has a destiny, a book written about you, and a, and a calling for your life before you were even put in your mother's womb. He said that to Jeremiah. Before I put you in the belly, I knew you. We've got to think this way. God has already put inside our children a calling, a destiny, a wiring, which they're going to grow up and, and start to walk in. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained, before you're even born, that you'd walk in it. Aren't these amazing verses? God knew you before you were even born and had a, had a job and a purpose for your life. And the last one is, he who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and his grace. His grace, his ability is on us to fulfill this calling. And, um, and I believe, as I said, a church and as parents, our job is to help you discover it and to walk in it. How do you help them discover it? Well, observe. Observe what they're good at. Observe what they have success in. Observe what, how the, what influence they have on others. Encourage it. I see you're good at this. I remember saying to Blake once, you're a great builder. He built a great train track. You're a great builder. Even last time I said, remember Nanny, you told me I'm a great builder? Notice them do things and encourage them. Build relationship, ask questions. Help them discover it because as you give them feedback and observe it, then they'll begin to recognize it. And it takes a while for them to recognize what it is that God's gifted me for. And then to fulfill it, especially when they make the transition from school, it takes a while to discover what to do next. And some of them actually need a year off for a heart transformation. One of our lovely children was a bit of a party animal at high school and really didn't make the, enough qualifications to get to university. But we gave her a gap year and we just really gave some boundaries to help her grow up. And then we took her to Indonesia and left her in an Indonesian home. But anyway, God transformed her heart. And from having provisional entry to get to university, she got in the top 10% of academic achievement and straight A's right through a degree because she needed her heart changed. So sometimes, you know, it needs a heart shift to really start to step into what you're doing. But others need help to find out their giftings and to take time to discover it. And uh, as I said last time, with teens, as a, um, as a time of many friends, a time to discover really your wiring and your gifting and to start to train and equip for it. I said last time, how does a, we shouldn't be encouraging out-of-season serious relationships in this church. It's not cute. It's not godly. It's a time of many friends, family, brothers and sisters. Your brother's going to protect your sisters from guys that come in with a wrong agenda. And your job is to develop what God's wired you to do, train for it. And when you've done your apprenticeship or your university course and you've got some money coming in, then you might be ready to have a, have a girlfriend, so long as you can hear God, because you've got to lead the home, and you better be able to hear God and know how to lead her. I said to the girls, you need to also be able to hear God, just because he said, you're my woman, I'm going to marry you, God's told me. That's not enough. You've got to hear God, you've got to have a peace in your heart, and you've got to ask your dad, 
And if you haven't got a dad, because he's going to, on your wedding day, hand over the authority to another man, it'd be a good idea to get his advice, if not a church leader. But we need to have a culture where this is how it is in our house. So our kids don't grow up with ungodly pressure. Uh, another verse I'd like to quickly touch through, Romans 8, 29. It talks about five steps in this process. It says, for whom he did foreknow. And I've just described that God, before the time began, had you in mind and what your calling and destiny was going to be. And the Council of Heaven decisions were made about your destiny and what part of God's agenda you would fulfill, a kingdom purpose. Then he also predestinated. He has a, a, a destiny for you. Now, does that mean you have no choice? No, it doesn't mean that. You have a choice to discover that and fulfill it, or just totally disregard it and live your own life as you want to live it. That's your choice. But I know now that we've had 40, 50 years walking in the call of God, I wouldn't trade that for anything. It is the most fulfilling, satisfying life. But, uh, you know, God has a destiny for you. And if you can discover it and, and walk in it, um, and he'll give you the grace and ability for that purpose, that's what it, um, discovering it's all about. And then he calls you. There's a stage when you sense what it is. You finally dawns on you, this is my calling. It may take a while, but you, you get a glimpse of what you're made for, and you start to flesh it out. You start to walk in it. What a great time that is. But then when that happens, you know what? The enemy, the accuser, comes along and starts to criticize you, and you'll get probably a lot of flack for your decision to start to walk into that calling. I remember times when we were called in to pick up the Christian school, and my uncle Ian, who was an inspector of schools, totally opposed this whole thing. And you have to stand against accusings and judgments and anything that will come to stop you fulfilling the calling. There's a season when that happens. But God is the one that justifies. He is the judge, and he will justify you. He will declare you innocent. He will stand with you, and he will help you walk it out. He justifies in the most things. And, and then after he justifies, he glorifies you. You know what I think the glory is? What you saw with Maldonado, stepping in, walking in, what's inside flowing out and filling the auditorium. When Jesus was transfigured, what was inside him flowed out and his glory could be seen. I believe the glory is, is what we're enjoying now. When what's inside, what's being built is flowing out and affecting people. That's wonderful to walk in the glory of God, in the destiny of God. And I um, just want to finish with a, um, 1 Corinthians 10. I've been reading 1 Corinthians this week, and it just struck me. He talked about all the people that came out of Egypt. Egypt speaks of the world, of bondage. And we're all in the world. We're all in bondage before we gave our heart to Jesus. And the people of Israel... The whole story of them is a picture story of this. And they were brought out of Egypt. They came out of bondage. And he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. They're all under the cloud, and they all went through the sea, which for us means they're all water baptized. They're all baptized in the Holy Ghost. And they had the same spiritual meat and the same spiritual drink. They were fed the same teachings that you're listening to. They under the same spirit. They had everything that you've got right now. Out of Egypt, saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, walking in, uh, in the life of God and, uh, and feeding and being nourished. But, and they all, they, um, 
But some of them, God wasn't well pleased with. Some of them are overthrown on the journey. And then he puts out five things which cause them to be overthrown. And I believe right now God might want to convict you that what's stopping you from fulfilling your destiny and calling, maybe one of these five things. First of all, they, were, they lusted after evil things. It's part of our flesh nature that just wants things that are not good for us. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's an addiction to something that's evil. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's just you're just nursing your hurts and your bitterness and your wounds. Sometimes you just want to hang on to those things because your flesh doesn't want to deal with it. And if you do that, you're going to be overthrown in the wilderness and not fulfill your destiny. But no, we pray the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Because we need deliverance from evil. And we can be delivered from evil because it will take you out of the call of God. Then he said, um, they were idolatry. Idolatry is anything in your life that takes the place of God. And many people don't fulfill the call of God in their life because there's something else there they will not yield or surrender to. I remember in our journey, I remember Mark loved these old cars. We had a whole garage full of old car bits. The Lord said, that's an idol, get rid of it. A whole garage of bits had to go. When drink was an idol, we poured the drink down the sink one night. You know, whatever was an idol had to go. Sometimes it's the opinion of somebody who doesn't like what you're doing. You don't have to fulfill other people's agenda. They won't like what you're doing. Are you going to be a God pleaser or a man pleaser? Because you can't be both. If it's an idol and we won't let it go, it'll take you out of your calling. And maybe you've got to let that idol go. Sport, something that's maybe okay normally, but if it's taking a central place and you can't fulfill your call because of that idol, maybe it's money. God will deal with these things so that you can follow him. It's a surrendered life. The key thing is it's not I, but Christ. I die, and he lives in me. And that transition has to take place. And the third thing is... Um, uh, Immorality, many people get into sexual sin or immorality, takes them off the call of God. Tempted Christ, I think this story is amazing. It talks about the serpents in the wilderness. And if you look up the story in Numbers, they're having a hard time. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you thought you were going to be healed and you haven't been healed. Or maybe you've lost a baby. Or maybe you've just discovered it was something that hasn't gone away and you're discouraged. They were like that in the wilderness. And instead of believing that God's still a good God and I'm going to put my trust in him, though he may slay me, I will still trust him. They didn't. They started to judge God that he wasn't a good God. And they got angry at God. And they got angry at Moses. And they all started to get upset and, and believe wrong things about God. You know what happened? He said, serpents. Oh, serpents all came around them, bitten them. And then they suddenly realized, uh-uh. I think we've sinned here, and we need to put our lives right. He didn't take the serpents away. You know what he did? He made provision. He put a serpent on a brass rod. And if they turned to the, the cross and caught out on God and repented, they were set free and lived. So if you've, you know, gone to this way, you're starting to judge God and judge leaders and get upset you probably open the door in your life for all sorts of demonic bondage to come around you and nibble at you. And the only way out is to turn to the cross 
the provision is the cross. Say, God, I have sinned. I've done wrong. And reach out for his provision of healing and freedom. And then the last thing he did, they murmured. So these are all things that we can do. He says, I'm written this for your so that you'll have an example so that you won't fall in the wilderness like these people fell and miss out on the promised land and the destiny and the calling that God was bringing them into. He just gives us untold opportunities to see what's in our heart. Untold opportunities to find out what's in our heart and to change and to be transformed in our heart. That's what the journey looks like. I tell you, it's cost up front. When we stepped into ministry, we took a quarter of the salary. <laughs> you know, it's cost up front. It was... We were joyful because we're in the will of God, but there's a price to pay. And as you go on, you let go things that are stopping you fulfilling the call. But He adds His peace and His glory and His presence, and it gets from better to better to better. Wouldn't trade it for anything. But I believe if we're going to raise up a generation that are going to walk in their calling as a church, we're going to have to nurture it. And as people, we need to examine our hearts that we're not being overthrown on the journey by any of these things. Is there an idol in your life? Have you given way to sexual sin and got yourself ensnared? Have you started murmuring and grumbling and doubting that God is a good God and started to believe that He's, he's not God? You know, every good and perfect thing comes from God above. He hasn't got any cancers to give out. They don't come from God. Sin and sickness came into the world when Adam fell. God is a good God. He's always good. He's a healing God. He's able to set us free. We've got to believe who He is and who He says He is. He's a good God. And then whatever state you're in, if you reach out to Him, reach out to the cross, He'll take your sin and give you His righteousness. He'll take your sickness. He'll take whatever you give Him. And at the cross, there's no Christianity without the cross. It's the only place of exchange. He'll take what it is that's come into your life and give you His provision that He's already purchased. You just have to possess it. So maybe we could just sing a song. And If you believe you're in one of those categories that you've been overthrown, you know what the call of God is, you've been fed the richest of food in this place, but something's come in and you've been sidetracked, you've been sidelined, you're not fulfilling the call. Come and Meet with the Lord today and say, God, I don't want to miss out on your destiny and call. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm letting go of these things that have gone on the way. You know, what we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Bind your emotions to the peace of God. Release those people that have hurt you. God's the judge. He's the one that can deal with them. Vengeance is His. Let them go. That's His department to deal with them. Deal with these stuff that's got in your heart so that you can go from glory to glory to glory, transformed by the Spirit of God. Amen.